0: welcome to the hyper guy motivational podcast i'm so lucky today to have this amazing amazing artist from brazil although i'm giving it away i told her to say this but she's an amazing artist from brazil she's a violinist uh carolini menendez correct did i get it right okay yes you did okay well and let me tell you she's a an amazing artist from the city of Jao persoa she's a violinist as i said she she has multiple degrees but she'll get into this um, she studied law in Brazil. She's done just about everything. I, I don't. Sometimes when I was going over looking at her bio, I didn't even know where to start. She re- received full scholarships from Azusa Pacific uh, and also from USC in music performance. She has a BA and a master's degree. She's performed in music halls across the world, Sao Paulo. She's um, performed for Queen Elizabeth, performed with uh, Elton John, Billy Ellis, uh, Adele, Eminem Sting, Andrea Bocelli. I can keep going on and on. She also performs and does um, for films. And this is Creed Two, Crazy Rich Asians. Is there anything? I, I know I'm going to miss something, Carolina, because you've done so much. I don't even know where to begin.
1: It's okay. It's okay. Well, hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me in your podcast. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I feel so honored to be speaking with you. With someone that i want to keep in touch forever now because i admire you so much and all the work that you do for the country for the euro community so thank you for having me i'm excited to have this conversation and yeah
0: let's get it going okay. huh okay here we go I, and this and remember now carolini you're such a sweet good person um i i appreciate you saying a little bit about me but this is about you today so i i you do so much work in the community and You're so passionate about what you do. And that's one of the reasons that you've kind of built your life from the bottom up. And that's what I really love. You have a great, great story. And one of the things I really love about you is that you don't just talk about stuff. You walk the walk. Like You really, really, really put yourself out there and really promote giving back to the community and the arts. And where were you born and raised?
1: I was born in João Pessoa. It's a small city in the northeast of Brazil, right by the coast. Um, I live in the capital of my state, which is pretty developed in a sense, but compared to other cities like Sao Paulo and Rio, it's a much, much smaller state. Um, It's the state of Paraíba. Um, And I grew up there. All my family is from there. We are Portuguese um, descendants mixed with... um, African, there's a, where our blood is so mixed, Spanish, and it's, I, I'm actually yet to do one of those, DN, uh, the 23 me tasks because I'm so curious, because, you know, once I arrive here in LA, everybody's like, are you Persian, are you this and that, and I'm like, no, I'm Brazilian, but I, you know, I don't know fully what, where we're coming from, but I think that's one part of Brazilians that's so exciting, um, so yeah, everybody was born and raised there in Brazil, in my state um I started studying music in college and one thing that maybe Martin doesn't know I actually studied law in Brazil too before I came to the US oh
0: trust me we're going to get into that and I'm also oh, and you, we already know. oh that's oh, right absolutely and, and another thing okay. is I want to ask I want to ask you this if you have any brothers and sisters and what was your relationship like with your brothers and sisters and your parents growing up what was growing up in brazil like how did you learn english what what was life growing up in brazil for you like and we're going to cover how you came to the states and so forth but um but what was your what was your life growing up in brazil yeah
1: um so a life growing up in northeast brazil is is i would say looking back now it's pretty laid back because we're from a beach city um there's not a lot of resources so what you do for fun It's free things like go to the beach and play soccer, play on the streets. So I would say that my childhood was very uh, positive, um, very I had parents that were um, stable. Um, They are divorced now, but they were stable uh, growing up and um, had two siblings. I'm the youngest one. Um, They went into different routes in terms of career. But um, I started learning. I, you know, I I was the only child in the family that always would tell my parents what I wanted. So it was usually my dad saying, like, you guys are going to do this or mom is going to take you to this place. But for me, since I'm a young person, like since I'm not that I'm saying that I'm super young, not young anymore. (laughs) But when I was little, I um, was always the one that would say, mom, I want to do I want to do I want to play the violin. I want to get into a conservatory or I want to have my birthday party and I want to have this specific cake. And I would always like have these big ideas and my parents would be like, Carol, we can't do that. Like we don't have the means for it. And I'm like, but what about like years from now, can we do it? Can I, can we make this happen? So I was always kind of like the dreamer. I think maybe the young child like always had that. Um, So I was the one that asked my parents to um, start music because I had a neighbor that played the violin and I was like, wow, I need to learn how to play this. And my parents were like, no, we don't have money for to buy an instrument. We don't have money to put you through private lessons with the Suzuki method. And I'm like, but it's got to be other ways for me to like study this. And um, my mom's research and found a conservatory that was a public conservatory that uh, only charged very small fees for students that would qualify and the process was we had to take music theory for a year and get a certain grade so we could qualify to get to the violin because violin is the most uh, competitive program. So um, at 10 years old, I made that happen. I asked my parents and there goes my mom at 5 a.m. in line to do the matricula, which is, uh, you know, like signing me up for this and then studied music theory for a year, got the grade, started with the violin, borrowed the violin from the school. And then asked my dad to save money so that when I was 15 years old, he would buy me a violin instead of, you know, what uh, other Brazilian kids would get when they turned 15. Like a quinceanera type, like 15-year-old party. I was like, I want my violin. I don't want any party. I want my violin. So he made that happen. And then that's kind of how a little bit about it. I remember vividly when I started playing, my sister and my brother were already studying for um, what we call vestibular, which is... Similar to SAT here in the U.S. And they would be studying a lot, you know, to get good grades and to get accepted to a university because public universities, there are very competitive. And that's all, you know, we grew up like if you want to go to university, you have to go to a public university. So um, they were studying all the time. And then there I am six years younger than them, than, you know, apart from my brother and age from my sister. And I'm like play, practicing the violin and making weird noises and them like, just make this Make her go away. We don't want to hear this violin. And, and it was like a, a very fun, um, very lighthearted um, childhood growing up, especially having two older brothers. And um, even though there were difficulties, it, it was joyful. I look back and I think about it, and it was joyful, even though we didn't have all the resources in the world. Um, we, my mom and dad just fought for getting the best for us. Um, so what I can recall now, you know, it's, it's interesting to kind of go back to those memories and think about how much they did to get us to certain opportunities and how that shaped me to go after things now by myself here in the U.S. So, um, that's a little bit of my, my childhood. I was a normal child, like everyone else played soccer on the streets and, went to the beach, did all the free things that every Brazilian likes to do, as you probably know, Martin. And yeah.
0: Caroline, can you tell me more about that? You just, I, I, like you alluded to, you said that she gave your mom gave you some tools and stuff when you were younger that you ended up using that for later in life. What were some of those tools that she gave you?
1: I think the, the idea of fighting for opportunities, let's say in order to be at the music conservatory that I studied at for so many years, because it's so competitive and there's, um, there's a lot of people looking to be a part of that conservatory because it does, it's a small fee compared to some other private um, schools, music schools. My mom was always the one that would wake up at 4 a.m. and to be in line by 5 a.m. Or what she did for my, uh, my niece uh, just recently, spend the whole night because it's getting more and more competitive. So people line up around the school at like 11 p.m., they camp out. So whenever it's 7 a.m. next day, they're first in the line and they get a space in the school for their children. Um, I think the resilience and from her and also this attitude of I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do whatever I can to make this happen, I think really pushed me to go get things. So I think the resilience, the persistence and the the going, trying things and going after it the right way, right? Like we didn't have connections. I'm sure that once there's connections, like she would utilize those, but we didn't. So she was willing to put herself there at the school at 11 p.m. camp out so that she secured my spot in the school. It's, it's those kind of things like being persistent, being resilient and never giving up, fighting for opportunities. That's something that I'm very thankful for for her, especially.
0: And, and when you were younger, when did you know that you wanted to? Um, I know you were saying you kind of alluded to this. I know in Brazil, most people, if they don't go to a really good school, they're never going to pass the test to get into the, the public universities, even though they're free. But it's like it takes yeah. almost an act of God to get into those schools. Yeah. When you were younger, did you know you wanted to go into law or did you say, I wanted to go into music? What made you make that kind of transition? And was it just because, hey, did people, did anyone did ever say to you, hey, you know what, you're never going to make any music. I'm, it's great that you're doing music, but are you going to have a career? I mean, how did that develop? for you?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So um, when I was 17, I was part of the one of the orchestras in town, the municipal one. So I did have a small salary on that with that one. And I was an intern with the main symphony in town. So it was kind of um, in my mind, I was thinking, well, if I get a degree in music and the goal is to reach the highest level orchestra, I'm already doing that. And then at that point in my mind is, well, I don't plan on moving out of stage to get a better job or anything like that. So I was kind of a stuck and Even though I was working a bunch already, like since I was 17, like playing weddings and playing corporate events and things like that, I didn't think it was going to be sustainable for me. And the biggest point of that was my parents were divorcing right before I came to the U.S., which is like between eight when I was 18 and 20. Um, So I stayed with my mom. And, and my brother. And it was very difficult for us financially. We basically only had the money to pay very basic things. And my brother was already working at that time. And he was kind of supporting us uh, more along with me and my, my small salary from the orchestra, helping my mom because she really didn't have anything. So um, that was tough. And then I think I made the choice of, I need to choose a path that will lead me to Bigger, more financial opportunities. And I didn't see that happening with music. So in my mind was, I think law is going to take me there. Law is going to be a more stable path that will enable me to possibly make more money so I can help my family. So in my mind was never an option to move out of the country, move out of state. Was I need to make to be in a profession that will give that will pay me more, basically. In other words. Right. So that was one of the big push for me to pursue that was. Those two things, um, and but obviously, I've always loved music. Everybody in my high school knew about it. Everyone in my family knew about it. Um, it was just very unusual for someone to go to school full time for music. All my family is on one side; is uh, entrepreneurs, business like they have their own business, and like um, or something with the government. My my brother worked. Um, he passed the big. I don't know if this is familiar to you, Martín, a concurso public, which is the public mm-hmm. test that allows you to have a job through the government. Um, and it's pretty stable. And and it's like, basically, um, you have it forever unless you do something very wrong. But um, so with music, I wouldn't have those opportunities. I wouldn't have a path that would be more stable to possibly help my mom. Um, so that was the big push for me. So, But again, I knew my heart was in music. And I was doing law or being involved with law at that point. I was like, got to be to to uh, start law school. And if I'm not mistaken, I finished. It's been a while, but I finished two and a half years, almost three. So that's pretty out there. I I only had two more to finish the degree, so and how, that's yeah.
0: How did you manage? Like, you had such a passion for music. I mean, you've played with some of the most amazing people, and I know it's going to continue for you, so during that time, you're like trying to support help support your family that you're living with, your mom and everybody and then you're in law school did you continue your how did you continue your passion for music? I mean how did you balance all that and how did you get through all that? That must have been a really stressful time for you. Did you ever doubt yeah. that you were gonna be in music or?
1: Yeah, no, it was very stressful because at that time, for two years, I was able to do this. So I would go to law school in the morning, basically classes from 7 to 1 p.m. Then I would go take a couple of class part time in music at the other university um, because you can't double major in one at that time. You couldn't double major in the same college university. You have to do different. So I would go from law school to a different to the other school to do my music classes. And then I would have like a one-hour, two-hour break. I would go to my rehearsal basically from 5 to 7, which was the youth orchestra. I had a scholarship with them as well. And then 8 to, or 7.30 to 10, I was then turned for the professional orchestra of my state. Then I would get home, um, have coffee, have acai, because it gave me energy, and study my law stuff. Uh, I see the acai, thumbs up. Um, the then I would do that and then study my law classes for my law classes basically from like 11 p.m. to 2 3 a.m. And at that time, I think I was coping with uh, you know, I think part of my what was happening in my house, it was good for me to be busy and to cope with what was happening there. Um, but I hit a wall, so I had um, I, I hit a wall, I had a really big break, like mental health break, um, meltdown, not meltdown, that's mental health break. Yeah. Um, I had a panic attack. Um, I was with really high anxiety and depression and I basically paralyzed a little bit. So, um, as per my doctor's uh, recommendations, like I had too much on my plate, obviously I knew that, um, I, so I took a break from law. I kind of, um, put my semester on a pause, um, put my music classes in pause in the other school and then just kept my one job, the other one I put subs. Um, And it was a it was kind of a recovery time, but also an interesting time because it that was when I decided to go to a music festival for the last time as my hobby. And I was going to put a pause on all music stuff to finish my law school. So I made it to this music festival. And in my mind, in my plans, was I will fully stop music for a while to finish law. What happened was in this music festival, two American teachers were recruiting people um, to go to the US. And I never, I didn't even know that they were recruiting but because I loved the language, I loved English. Anytime I saw a tourist in my city speaking English, I'd be like, kind of like around just to hear them speaking because I thought it was so cool. And I'm like, oh, I want to speak another language. And so anyways, I went to this music festival and there's all these American teachers and I'm like, oh my goodness, I just want to play for them because I want I want them to speak back in English to me and it's going to be so cool. That was my mind, right? So So simple and kind of cute in a way. Then I go to this teacher I already knew another teacher that was a big advocate for, for, for people from our, our city. Um, and I played for him and he saw a talent there somehow, right? Like he saw something in me, had the lesson. A lot of other people wa- were playing for this teacher because they were seeking actively seeking scholarships. Um, and ended up that the same day we had a meeting and they officially offered me the scholarship to go to APU because they were building their music department and they needed students for the bachelor's degree. And that's when my world turned upside down because um, it was the biggest decision of my life. Do I I came here to basically, you know, my mind was I came here to basically have my farewell to music for a while and then concentrate on law. But all of a sudden, I'm being offered a scholarship to study music full-time in a different country. And it took me, so this was January of 2008. They would, they wanted me to be ready to start fall of 2008. You know, obviously, my English was very broken at that time. Um, I barely knew how to write. I did a few years of um, English school and when my dad had some money to pay for us my brother and my sisters cuz they're they're older they got to finish the course he never had the the funding to let allow me to finish the course so i stopped after the second year then after that i didn't have any more english only like basic things but i always loved the language i would translate music i would print out lyrics from songs and learn on my own and when i got the scholarship i had to take the toefl so i continued working with the orchestra so i could pay for a private tutor that could get me ready to take the toefl then i did that for six months took the toefl got my scores 59 i needed to get 61. so i didn't pass the toefl of course for two points i could only take it like three months after so that delayed could not come during fall studied english again for another six months with this tutor um and then came, got 60, only went up by a point. I think I was just mentally like, I need to get this. And ended up just not getting it at all. Um, like, how did I study study more and get this or only by one point? I don't know. I was nervous. There was so much pressure. But anyways, after the second one, they said, okay, we're going to allow you to come. You're going to have to take an extra class. That's going to cost uh, an English class, like uh, f- not freshman writing, but it was... English for international students, something ESL, something like second, second language, uh, English, as second language, then uh, you're just going to have to pay per unit, which is going to be around $2,000. Then my dad goes, no, we don't have the money to do to pay for that. Plus, send you to pay for health insurance because that that was not part of the scholarship. So anyways, lots of different little things. Fought for it. Back and forth email. Had a wonderful mentor, Richard Young from the Vermeer Quartet, who advocated for me and said, listen, you need to to get this kid to this school. Um, please extend the scholarship a few thousand more dollars so she can come and study this English class. Anyways, it worked out. I went. They added that to my scholarship. And um, what happened to law? I put a pause on that. In my mind, I said, "Let me try this out in the West for, for a year. If it goes south, then I can just go back to law school and restart from where I stopped." Um, and that was my mindset. And then that has to the rest is history, I guess you well, we know so I, much we I, need to go. but
0: Well, let me of- ask you this. I, I get to go back a little bit. That's why I love asking the questions here. because um, it's such an interesting life. you're so uh, you have so much drive when they told you you were going to go to the united states how did your parents accept that and were you nervous i mean you're going from a place where you have a support structure and then all you're you're taking this leap of faith never been to the united states Um, like you said you have broken english you're not totally confident in english yet and you're going to be taking classes where you have to write what were the kind of feelings that you were going through? And and was there even a hesitation for you, whether you wanted to go or not? Was there any fears or your parents had for you? And what was that experience like for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. When I came back from the music festival and I told them, um, interesting enough, they were very, very supportive, even though everything was happening between them and the divorce and they basically didn't talk to each other. Um, they were very supportive towards me and surprisingly, they said, This is your path, you get to choose what you want to do, and uh, we'll support you. But let's look at details like, Where are you going to live? Are you going to be safe? Let's see the paperwork. Ask your brother to help you with translating and reading it for us. So it was, it was uh, looking back, I thought that was a beautiful way of uh, the way they dealt with everything in the midst of. Their own issues, um, because even though they're getting divorced, I've I've I cannot complain about how they were to us. I had a wonderful mother and dad. They're not perfect. There's definitely things that they messed up here and there. Um, and it's not perfect, like I said. But they were uh, they were I can I can I look up to both of them. Um, so that happened. They fully supported me. Because I was so scared and fearful, like, what's going to happen? Am I making the right decision? I, I kind of went into a shell of, like, do you guys want me to do this? And they're like, we cannot decide for you. You're the one that needs to decide. Um, because we don't want to look back or you're older and say, hi, my parents made me do that or stopped me from doing it. So I was like, no, 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 I'm too young. You guys make the decision for me. I wanted them to make the decision for me. And they said, no, you cannot Um we cannot make that decision for you. It's you and your path and your future. Um, so it felt like that was the beginning of my adulthood before I left. Um of course there was many elements that made me feel ready like in you know, a fully grown adult at age 17, 18. But that was the biggest that was the biggest moment and, and it was very scary. I was very afraid. I was still battling like mental health issues and it was um I mean in my mind i was going through all the thoughts of is this going to be worth it i'm going to a completely new place different culture going to get a degree in a language that i'm not fully fluent speaking or writing plus i have to practice so many hours how am i going to support myself in terms of paying for i had uh, full tuition room and board but of course there's like things like i need a phone i need a a computer i need uh, you know to pay electric bills for whatever i'm gonna live um, so it was it was very um, very interesting to say the least. I think that was a, probably the the biggest growth that I had as an adult was that period of six months before I came in that first year for sure. The first year was just difficult, painful, beautiful, all of the things all it was. But um, yeah, if there's one word that I can describe is extremely just anxious anxious fearful those are the two words very hard um but deep down in me i knew that was that was something good was going to come out of it um and even the distancing myself a bit from the whole process of my parents getting divorced was helpful for me because um i was deeply involved with with the civil stuff because i was a law student so i i, I was already understanding most of of that stuff and i was in contact with with lawyers. So that wasn't good for my mental health as a daughter right in the middle of that process. So I think even coming um, and distancing myself a little bit from it was a positive that I saw. So I have this thing that, that I always do. Uh, I'm not doing this on a daily basis, but when things get really like tight and, and I start feeling anxious, I have a gratitude list and one that it's negative. All the things because then I can go in spirals of being negative and thinking of the things that are not working and and, you know, I've really learned since that time to look on the bright side. What is happening? What is good? Yeah, What what's positive coming out of this? So I con- like concentrate and hold on to those things instead of the negative. So um, when I came, yeah, it, all these this feelings were uh, permeating my, my, my mind, but I, I focused on the good. And it was different and exciting for, for the first, you know, three months. Then you're meeting new people and it's hilarious trying to communicate um but yeah that that's that's in a nutshell we can go more in detail but i'll let you and,
0: and what about what was the difference and we're going to start getting into your music in a minute what what was the difference there's got to be a, like a culture shock you know a lot of times i know that brazilians on you, you know you get this american version in the media and on television and films and music what was did that match reality reality to you and what was the how difficult was it for you to adjust when you came to the States and school and everything else? Well, you talked about the language a little bit, but like culturally, did you find yeah. Americans, uh, did you find them as warm as the community in Brazil? Because one of the things about Brazil that I, I find very amazing is that there's a lot of what they call comunidade, right? So everybody's so close mm-hmm. to one another. Was that a difficult transition for you?
1: Yeah, extremely. Um, I think the biggest cultural shock was not hugging people at first i mean i i miss the the warmth from people the smiles and the hugs and and even just we're so um brazilians are so good at kisses and hugs and and that was very difficult for me because even though there was a brazilian community on campus at apu at that time they all live off campus and i was placed in on campus And of course, my roommates were Americans. And even though they're wonderful people, it was very strange to be crying and someone just sitting on the table looking at me and trying to comfort me, but not coming next to me and giving me a hug. Like all I wanted was a hug, you know? So I think that was the biggest thing. And even when I was grateful, I remember vividly, uh, I was so grateful to one of the teachers that helped me find a job at school, which is cafeteria job. And, you know, I was able to, to get the paperwork and have this little job certain hours a week and I was very excited and I was so grateful that I ran up to the teacher and I was like Mr. Blubo I'm so thankful you did this to thank you for facilitating me and then went to give a hug oh my goodness that was not I mean he was he's he definitely understood Brazilian culture because he's had so many Brazilians on campus already but definitely after you know a few days he sent me an email he said so you know I understand that's part of your culture but here you know especially being a professor you don't want to like with any staff and professors like you don't want to show this kind of like demonstration of, of effect because uh, uh, people will misunderstand that as you um sexually harassing and I was like sexually harassing then I look up and go and translator what what were they talking about like what is sexual about this? And in my mind, I'm like, what is this? You know? So that's, you know, of course I had to go through sexual harassment trainees, um, for my job. And that's when I started, it was also like that. Like whenever I saw kids playing in the park or dogs, I'd be like, oh my goodness, they're so cute. And be like wanting to play. That was the biggest culture shock. So within three months I turned off the switch to to cold Carol, meaning hi, I will just my and wave forever or like this, or thank you so much, but never hug. No, I cannot touch people. I cannot give people hugs. I cannot, there's no two kisses on the cheek like we do. So that was the biggest, that was the biggest thing. I I missed my mom's hugs, my friends. So that was, that was very difficult for me. But, you know, I understand I made that adaptation, found different ways to show people that I care. And I was thankful for, for um, their presence in my life. But Um, The other thing that was hard for me was trying to communicate because I think in a college set, especially in Southern California, there was a lot of expressions that I had no idea what they were talking about. So I would constantly have my phone with the Google Translate. People would be like, hi, Carolini, what's up? And I'm like, what is up? Then I would look at the ceiling like, what is up? Like things like that. I was like, I don't know what they're saying. Like, ah. So I would just like retract to waving and a big smile super cute little fresh of the boat <laughs> brazilian um so that was like interesting to me the way that the all the expressions and and uh yeah language in general it, i think it took me about six months to start feeling comfortable having full conversations back and forth um i don't i wouldn't say that i translated in in my mind all the time but definitely some expressions or having a deeper conversation was a hard thing for me because I didn't have the vocabulary for it or the expressions or, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was difficult to get my point across. So I was very homesick for like a whole year, very, very homesick.
0: And I know you were okay. So you continue, let me try to get this right. So you, you did, um, you study music performance and does that mean you just play one instrument? You're trying to get, actually i like being educated about this because i always want to ask this question um do you have to play more than one instrument or you just focus on one
1: yeah it depends on your degree so um if you are a bachelor of music student you concentrate on one perhaps you do two if they're from the same family i'll explain that in a bit and if you are a ba bachelor of arts and you want to be a full music educator then you have to play a little bit of every instrument whether it's from the strings family, or the woodwind family, or the brass family. Um, so for, in my case, I was a BM student in performance, and I came as a violinist, but at that time in the school, they needed more viola players. So I ended up being a double major for about two years. So I was doing violin and viola. Then um, on my second year, I fell in love with the viola um, I had this wonderful teacher who used to be the principal here at Pacific Symphony in Orange County, Robert Becker, and he was an incredible mentor and teacher. And I fell in love with the viola. It fit so well with my body because it's a bigger instrument than the violin. So I ended up asking to switch to full-time viola. So that's what my BM in performance, Master's of Music in Performance is for, for viola, even though I studied violin um, all my life in Brazil. Um, it's very similar instruments, um, different in so many ways, but very similar uh, looking, you know, for a non-musician, um, it, the viola is just a little bit bigger and the sound is deeper, but a lot of similarities on the technique left hand and right hand. So that transition from full-time violin to full-time viola to double major to full-time viola was was uh, fairly easy and encouraged by by both mentors um, that I had at APU
0: what what advice would you give to somebody if they wanted to you know they they had a desire to study music but they didn't necessarily have people supporting them what kept you going to continue to pursue your music career and what what keeps that drive that fire going for you caroline
1: yeah i think um there's many ways to go about it but I'm a huge believer that nobody's self-made. You can work yourself from bottom up. But you always have people along your journey. I don't believe that someone can reach a certain place by themselves. They will always have others to come along with them. Whether um, it's someone, if you have a connection and it's powerful, whether you don't have that. You have to find people that believe in you. And obviously you have to have passion, fire enough to go after it. Because I think when people see that you have passion and fire on you to go get things and make things happen, they will want to support you. It In my life, until this day, it's not easy to find people that believe in me and are fully like, I'm going to support you in this. But and it's very hard to find mentors that are willing to, be there in your life for multiple years and it's okay because some seasons some mentors are very helpful but maybe other seasons a different mentor will be more helpful but i think if first first of all being passionate and have that go get mentality to really want to make things happen second is find people along your journey that, that will support you that will say hey i don't know if i can help you maybe i'll never be able to help you but I believe in you and I'm going to remind you that you can do this. That was the key for me because I didn't have a lot of people in the beginning, but I had always people that said, you know what? Suck it up. I know it's hard, but you're going to get to, and I'm going to remind you to keep going. And those are people that you need to find along your journey because um, I do believe we're meant to live in community. And we need those people especially for an immigrant trying to come here study find a job whatever reason you come specifically to the united states that's because you're trying to look for something better somewhat it's not an easy perfect country but it's a country that things work right like work really well um compared to other places but you need to have that support system and find your tribe that's the biggest thing find your tribe
0: I love that. Can you please describe, you know, I was going to ask you, you you, you read my mind when you say find your tribe and find people to support you. How do people do that? They don't, you know, there's some people that are very introverted. They don't even know where to begin. And so I think in every profession, like you said, you have to find some people that support you. What kind of advice would you give people to find their tribe? I, I, I love that.
1: Yeah. I think not being afraid of being vulnerable. If you share with people, what you're going through there might be 10 people out there if you're talking to 10 people nine that would just listen and then don't feel don't be empathetic but there's always going to be someone along the journey that's going to say hey i'm sorry that you're going through this i don't know how i can help but let me connect you to this person or hey, I think you should meet that person because that person has a connection. Or let me look it up something for you to be in touch with. Let me talk. I think people you you can only be helped if you allow yourself to be helped. I I, I personally, whenever I close myself up and in, in, in my seasons where, you know, I'm more negative and, um, you know, my mind is just going spirals. I tend to retract, right? Um, I think that's normal for human beings, but I. Then I remind myself, if I retract and I don't ask for help, nobody will know that I need help. So I think that's the key. Finding your tribe is being willing to be vulnerable, not with everyone. you got to be careful because there's a lot of weird people out there. Um, but be vulnerable and allow and know that you're going to come, trust that you're gonna going to come in contact with people that will connect with you and somehow want to be part of your journey. There's a lot of good people out there, but we only find out when we expose ourselves.
0: I love that. And you, so you ended up finishing your undergraduate degree and then you got a full ride scholarship to the University of Southern California in music as well. What was that journey like for you? And how did you like, after you graduated, how did you break into the business? Because you're, you're big now, but how did that, how was that path and what was that path like for
1: you? Yeah. Um, so the the biggest reason I'll start with this I wanted to be a part of USC obviously it's an amazing school uh incredible music uh the, the professors there incredible players performers and teachers um the reputation of USC it was in southern california I I at that point I was already kind of uh connected already with some people from APU from the community I had some mentors that I could that I could think that these people are my family now. I want to stay in their circle. It's going to be hard to move out of state. So that was one of the reasons. And the biggest one was when I applied for schools for my master's, I auditioned from in multiple places, USC, um, University of Austin, Texas, and Chicago, Boston. I went to all these places to audition. And um, USC was actually one of the schools that I thought that I wouldn't be able to get in because the scholarships were not widely available at usc so in my mind it was okay maybe i'll end up in boston in chicago or something like that but i wanted usc and all of these schools i applied because they all were connected to music programs in the communities so i was very interested in being a part of the el sistema program which is um music programs inspired by the el sistema in venezuela and then these programs only exist and back then existed back then because there were big cities with big orchestras, So here we have LA Phil. And then, of course, Gustavo Dudamel implemented this program here. In Chicago, there's a program. In Boston, there's a program. In Austin, there's a program. So in my mind was, I will get to my master's and I will get to work with these communities and I'll get to teach inner city kids. So what's the biggest reason for me? Um, I already started volunteering with Um, The program that I've been involved, the YOLA Youth Orchestra of Los Angeles, uh, in partnership with the L.A. Phil, inspired by the El Sistema program, I got involved with them in my senior year at college. So I used to take a train, a bus, walk a few blocks to get to my volunteer place, which is where I teach. Um, And I serve the community here at uh, Expo Park area, actually close to where you are right now, um, close to the stadium, the football stadium. or actually you're in, in USC right now, right? On campus, you're at the on campus. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I started uh in my mind was that's the reason I would be so drawn to these schools. Then I go audition, get the scholarship for USC, wasn't disbelief for the longest time. I got to USC. Oh my goodness, this is like a dream come true, right? I get to be in Southern California, I get to to be part of this community serving inner city kids. Um, and that was when things that started happening for me. When you are at USC, it's a tight circle between USC, UCLA, Coburn School of Music. Uh, people got to know me. I was exposed. So I started subbing for a few teachers at this program next door. Some of these teachers are very active freelancers in town. Whenever they couldn't do something, they'll say, hey, Carolina, can you take over this gig for me? And I'm like, yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely love to do that. And then I started doing things like um corporate events that were higher and and then i would meet another person and they said hey can i have your contact number then this other person say hey would would you be available to play um a show with this certain band then i would play it with a certain band that's somewhat recognized then from that place i would meet another violinist that would say hey um, you're a great player. I love hanging out with you. I'd love to play with you again. And then two months later, they would call me. Hey, are you available for this? Are you? So that's how my name is started. Like I started building like my network uh, and people getting to know me. Then in my last semester of masters, um, I got a call for the Academy Awards, and I had no idea what it was for. But my friend said, Hey, we're gonna be doing a high-profile gig. There's an audition for it. Come at this day. I got excused from one of the classes, did my audition, had no idea what I was doing, um, but she said it would be good, pay, a good pay. So, you know, in my mind, it was always like, yeah, I'm gonna pay and then I'll have money to pay for my flight back home, woo. Um, that was always my mind. I make money and then I get to go home at some point. Then did the audition, got it, showed up to the Dolby Theater and I was like, this looks familiar. Is this where they do the Oscar ceremony? They're like, yeah, Carolini, we're gonna play for the Oscars. And that was the first time that I did, um, And that's when I played with The Weeknd. And that was, I think that was the moment, I think that was mentioned on on the interview, the podcast that you heard me speak. That was the moment that when people started like, oh, okay, there's this new person in town. There's always that, right? There's someone moved from New York. There's a new person, string player in town. And I think with me was, oh, there's a new string player in town. She's actually from Brazil. You know, like there's always like that. Oh, this is my Brazilian sister. Or like, so it's like, very special for me. I felt very welcomed in the community and I have incredible friends, uh, colleagues and friends in the industry. So that's kind of how my network started spreading and more opportunities started leading to another. Um, And I think I've always been in touch with this idea of be open. Be open because you never know who we're going to meet. You know, of course, in my unhealthy days, I love to sit on the couch and just read books and, you know, get into a good series, Netflix series. But I'm a people's person, so I love meeting new people. And I'm always open because I'm just so fascinated at people's stories, Um, whether they're musicians or not. uh, I'm just fascinated by people's past. I think it's we have so much to offer and learn from each other that being close to people, being open to being real, not just be friendly to people, but being real. And there's only so much capacity that each human being has have to be real, right? With each other. But I think that ability to be real um and selective also, it really does something in your life. Like if you start moving energy and like the universe starts just putting things together, like whatever you want to call that, the universe, God, Allah, whatever, whatever your the back, the religious background. I think once once you start moving that and open to it it's almost like things start happening I, i'm a huge believer of that um can, so that's kind I of how you, it started with with can, music
0: i gotta ask you this Were you ner- you gotta be nervous now you when you were, when you're out there playing the grammys or playing with the famous person do especially the first time carolini were you like like what's going through your head are you like oh my god i hope i don't mess up or are you nervous girl, or are you just so good i got this, this is no problem
1: I think yeah, that's, that's I think a non is always ask this question. I don't get nervous necessarily. I actually get more excited. It's like sometimes I'm very nervous before I go on stage and when I get on stage it's like, ah, oh, nice. you know, I think it's just the, the professionalism of am I sitting the correct way um do I have everything put together? Do I have my mic on or my instrument um do I have the music set so I don't have to turn the pages? All of these little details um, are the things that maybe I get nervous about, but not to play in front of an audience. But I'll say this. I get starstruck for the first time. I, When I was there, I was very starstruck. I was literally what was going through my mind was, is that Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie? Is that Elton John? Is that Adele? I just in this belief that David Beckman, And then I would just like try to just look at my instrument and not look at the audience. But there's no way I cannot not look at the audience. Think about this, this this girl from Brazil in a tiny state in Brazil that came from a family of non-musicians. What am I doing here? Right? Like, that's a crazy thought. Like, wait, am I daydreaming or is this reality? It's kind of hard to believe that I am in those spaces, you know, not the same that I don't think I don't believe belong, but it's, it's a little strange until this day. I don't think that will ever change. It's very strange to me. I'm like, wow, I've come a long way. Like, how did this happen? Like I never planned or wanted some of this stuff. Like, that's just so crazy, has, you know,
0: has any, has any musician that you've met? And I'm sure because you like challenges, has there been any professional musician or any of your professional experiences where you were pushed musically to grow, and who, who were some of those musicians that you were like, I gotta really push myself, and they're pushing me to to to, to go to the next level. Have you ever had any of those experiences?
1: Yeah, um, I think a few people that I'm close to to say like my feels like family at this point. Um, we we including one of my best friends who I was on the tour with, we would constantly have conversations of, and very real conversations of, how can we be true to ourselves in this industry that's industry that's so so easy to lose yourself sometimes, and strive to continue to be good at our instruments, and do things that we're proud of. Do things not just for our own um, benefit, but how can we always think about returning it back? How can we share the gifts and talents and opportunities that we've been given? So yeah, absolutely. And and then just striving to be a good musician, a good person, a good human being. Um, I do have a few people that are just dear to my heart that we're in constant conversation about this. You know, pandemic was hard for musicians and we're all considering like, should we stay in this industry? How are we gonna do this? Like, is there a future for us? um and these are the people that i I, you know they're so dear to me that if whenever i move back to brazil one day i know i'll be coming to visit these people because it's it's going they're going to be lifelong friends
0: and what about like is there differences in because you play all kinds of music all the genres they so is there a difference and how do you prepare for that and are there cultural differences like when you play with like brazilian musicians versus Adele, you have on one side, you have Elton John and you have an American musicians. Do you have to change it up or is it or is this music kind of transcends that?
1: Um, I think there is a common language language between the strings world, whether you're in hip hop or classical. But but there are things that are substantially different in terms of how we present ourselves How much practice we have to do, let's say, if we are doing an orchestral concert with a classical repertoire. um, There's definitely more need to practice because things are so exposed, so complex, got to be so, you know, like on point here with your left hand. Um, So there's a substantial amount amount of practice for that kind of repertoire. Um, If we are doing um, a recording session for a movie or perhaps a uh, a recording session for a hip-hop artist, R&B artist, those are site readable There's still like a certain code that you have to have. Let's say if you show up to an orchestral rehearsal, you have to start dress a certain way that's more a bit conservative versus if you go into a session um, with an artist. there's You can definitely be a little bit more hip and creative with your own, you know, what you're wearing, even for girls' jewelry, for guys' hats. Like, there's the freedom to do, to be more creative, I'd say, versus other environments. You definitely don't want to draw too much attention for yourself. You definitely don't want to talk much because if it's a 60-people group with a conductor, imagine if everybody, you know, is talking. So if you're in a small session, you have more The ability to ask directly the composer, the conductor, you can bounce ideas back and forth with your peers. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of differences in a way of of behavior and how to be not necessarily the playing. The playing is we should always be excellent. Right. Um, Sometimes more preparation for the for the classical repertoire. But but that's how I would describe it. Substantially different from from each and if it's a brazilian gig you you meet the person you don't you're not going to shake hands you're going to give them a hug right like and it's going to be the rehearsal is going to feel very um organic and very just you know it's brazilian music even if it's like the most complex bossa nova jazz there's there's still room for so much creativity and smiles and things like that
0: are you still starstruck when you meet like the elton johns and adels and um, I know you do, Billy. I don't. Uh, do you get starstruck when you play with them, or are you kind of used to it now? Like, you know, I got this. I, I I don't get that excitement anymore. Do you still get that?
1: I I don't get the excitement. I mean, I get excited, but I don't get starstruck. Of like, oh my goodness, oh my god, that person. I think it's more like, cool oh, that that person is just like like me, but does something different and is very famous. But they they're not like they're so talented. But the same way that the bass player or the drummer of the band are very talented. So for me, it's more more OK now. I think the only time that I was a bit starstruck and super over the top excited was when I met Beyonce, not directly, but when I shared the rehearsal and you know the production with her. Um, I mean, she is literally the queen that people say she is. Um, just so kind, so talented, so beautiful. So, yes, that one I was very starstruck and that was this year. Um, with, with others, other things I'm more like, cool. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having us. And
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, those, okay. So this leads me into my, my last five or six minutes with you. So these are these, I get to ask these fun questions at the end. I love doing this. Um, what would the older Kelly tell the younger one in terms of advice, if you could give a couple pieces of advice to yourself when you're younger,
1: device, advice in general or advice, Musical advice,
0: advice life advice. advice. Life advice, just in general. It could be music, it could be anything. You're going to talk to your younger version of you and say, listen, Carolina, I got some good advice for you.
1: Okay. Okay. How can I say this in a few words? I was just talking this morning with a friend about it, about some of these things. Don't be overly anxious. Just be very efficient. Be very strategic. Don't act out of fear. Trust yourself. Trust in the process. It's so easy to get carried away by fear and anxiety instead of let me be very rational and let me be strategic about it. How can I do these things? How can I make these things happen? Because sometimes when you're too emotionally involved, um, those you can't accomplish much because your mind is so cloudy. And for, for someone coming from a background like ours, Of course, we're going to be worried and stressed out because it's not easy. Sometimes there's no, we can't fall back, right? Like we don't have people to fall back to. But if you know your worth, your value as a professional, as a human being, trust the process, find your tribe, and be very strategic about how you want your life to be. It takes, sometimes it takes forever. Trust me, it's taking forever for me to want some of the things I want in life. And what are your future? Sometimes I do. I do think of, is this worth it? I do have moments like that. I'm not perfect, but when I I'm reminded that, you know what? I came all this way. Be a little more patient. Breathe. Don't try to figure all out at once.
0: And what is your guilty pleasure, Kim?
1: Guilty pleasure. Mm. Food
0: wise. Food wise. Food wise.
1: Food wise. Oh, boba.
0: I Milk love tea boba. boba. Yeah. You
1: do?
0: I, I love it. It's, it's, you know what? <laughs> it's, it's boba and acai, one of those two. But I, think I love acai, too. If I had to go, like, forever, it had to be um, acai, but I can tell you right now. Um, yeah, well, uh,
1: acai, if I had acai places close by the way that I had in Brazil, I wouldn't want boba. But for some reason, I just, I just love boba. Tea. I
0: love boba, especially on a, on, a, on a hot day. I'll go get me some boba. On a hot day, yeah.
1: <laughs> little chewy little pearls.
0: Okay. So let me ask you this. Um, what's left on your bucket list?
1: Bucket list. Yes. I have bucket list. Um, I would love to do a short tour in South America because I never toured South America. Um I would love, love, love to play with Lauren Hill in Quest Love. Um I wanna have another dog. <laughs> no, but that's not a bucket list. That was just <laughs> my love for dogs being shared. Um Oh, there's so many things. Um, but
0: that, those are good. I mean, I think those, those are, are good.
1: Amazing. I can start yeah. with those. Yeah.
0: I can start then, with those. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. If you can meet one person, you get to choose one person It can be any time in the history of the world, who would that be that you want to meet? And what would you say? To them?
1: Oh, this is so hard.
0: You probably have a lot.
1: <laughs> well, I have something, but it's unrealistic. So no, it doesn't
0: matter. It doesn't
1: care. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm just gonna share, and it, and people who are gonna be watching this can totally laugh at this, but this is my um my dreamer, right? Like the dreamer in me. I would love to meet the United Nations president, CEO, whatever, and just ask the question: why is it so hard to solve the problem of hunger in the world?
0: That's a good question. That's not that's a, that's so, more than realistic. So
1: we, have I to would set that, to... we
0: have to set that up for you somehow.
1: Can you make that happen?
0: Hey, we should I think you and I should make a uh we should make some phone calls and some emails and see if we can make it happen.
1: Let's get it started. I'm into it. And
0: then and the final question is, um well, actually I gotta ask you these others here real quick too. Uh, favorite movie and music genre. You could even say pages if you want, but I love pogorje, but I think most people don't know what Pagoshi is. But mm-hmm. favorite, favorite movie, favorite movie, um, Black Orpheus. Oh, Black
1: okay, movie. that's good, good Negro. Yeah, mm-hmm. great movie.
0: Um,
1: and what was the other question? Favorite Here's music right.
0: style? Yes, genre.
1: That's so hard. Favorite genre. Rejo- you get. So you hard. get to.
0: You get to choose one. I know you're. You're. You're I like a legit.
1: One, I, I have uh, I know. I know. It's, it's unfair
0: to ask you, but if you have oh. to choose one, to listen all the way from your trip from Los Angeles to Japursol, what's what, what kind of music are you listen to? Oh,
1: that is a really difficult question my goodness i have many different moods that's that would that's a hard question i cannot pick one if i only had one genre in the world to listen to i'd be a very unhappy person um <laughs> but one that i make sure i listen to every day is soul music
0: okay okay i say like r&b and soul music okay and then if you could be one if you could be one marvel character who would that marvel character be
1: Wow, I never thought about this. I feel like I should have this on my pocket for (laughs) whatever. We got to always be prepared for any kind of questions. Which one should I be? That's my friend here.
0: Wonder Um, Woman. I think you should be Wonder Woman because you're a Wonder Wonder
1: Woman. Yes, I like that. You're
0: like a total Wonder Woman, Carolina. Thank you. You're totally a Wonder Woman. And then when you leave this earth, What do you want to be remembered for when you're no longer here?
1: I want to be remembered as someone that was kind to people along my path. And I listened to people. I listened. I heard them. I, I think a lot of people are not people that have a heart for to serve others, sometimes they don't really listen. Um, so if people, when people remember me and I'm no longer here, I want them to remember as, um, Caroline was really kind and she helped me somehow. She was special. She made a difference in my life.
0: Well, Caroline, you, you've certainly made a difference in mine. I listened to your other podcast before you're such an inspiration to me. You have such a good soul. And I'm so happy to have you on here. I'm so lucky to have you on here. Thank you for responding when I reached out to you. Um, you've made, you're a super busy person, but you put aside time today to give, <clears throat> to give back to the community. And I just wanna thank you so much. If anybody wants to follow you, what's the best way to get a hold of you and follow you?
1: My website. Uh, www carolini with the k Menezes my last name me at easy asset.com and my Instagram social media carolini underscore menezes you see me there be able to follow what what I'm doing latest yeah and we can be in touch there.
0: Well, I'm just so blessed to have you on, Uh, Carolini. You're just a really great spirit. And thank you so much. Muito obrigado. And I just really, really appreciate everything. Your your family and the community should be so proud of all the things you do, all the stuff that you do. I I don't think people know. You always give of your time. You always want to help others. And you're extremely busy, but you do it anyway. And thank you so much. And if you like the podcast, give it a thumbs up. And join me next time for the, my next wonderful guest. In the meantime, keep learning and take care. Till next time.
1: Thank you, Martin.